you cash call. Cash wired right in my account. No one would lend me any money. Not even my relatives. <laughs> The number of Americans who've lost their homes this year because they can't afford the mortgage is now 1.3 million. They've been forced out as interest rates rise, leaving homes idle and unattended, and a blight on the cityscape. John Blackstone of CBS reports. Antica, California, police have a new job patrolling hundreds of foreclosed houses, left empty and abandoned. Look what we see. Dead grass, bushes are dying, trees are dying. Half-million-dollar houses, often bought with nothing down, turned into suburban blight. Next thing you know, you have those people that are trying to squat in the house. Probably somebody's tried to get in. You know, they've either tried to pry the bottom of the garage up. You notice the garage door's kind of pushed off to the side. As California house prices soared, cities in San Joaquin County attracted buyers priced out of San Francisco. Developers built more than 30,000 new homes in the last six years. But when adjustable mortgage rates spiked, the flood of buyers turned into a flood of default. What do you do when your cash is low and you need groceries? You got a cash emergency, you got a money mayday. In America's ideal of freedom, citizens find the dignity and security of economic independence instead of laboring on the edge of subsistence. The credit card companies keep flooding our mailboxes with four billion offers a year. Banks alone had made available three trillion dollars of credit on their cards. Consumer lending is obscenely profitable. The average American household has more than $9,000 in credit card debt and spends more than $1,300 a year in interest payments. Think about it. $43 if you're late, $43 if you're over limit. They want you to be late. An actual Providian employee told me all about how they hold checks. She said some of the checks they hold, some of them they just shreds. We get thousands of complaints every year about credit card issues. You want to fill out a visa application? Give it free t-shirt. I think that the vast majority of lenders in the country do grant credit responsibly. You got a piece mail offered here. At Chase, we value our customers. A lady came up with her husband to the window. My mom said, you know, may I help you? And she said, well, your house is in a paper for four clothes. They just raped us. Welcome. You have reached the BS Alert podcast. If you feel you have reached this recording in error, please hang up and dial again. Or call your operator. This is show number seven. We're getting up there. And this show is dedicated towards money, debt, and other financial-related issues. This is something that everybody, I'm sure, can relate to. But I think you'll be surprised how little you really know about this field. So we're going to get into it. And we've got some special guests. Also, remember, we're on the web, www.bsalert.com. And you can email us at pile at bsalert.com. And... Now, on with the show. With me, as always, is Uber Bill. Hello. And Wise Girl. Hi. So here we are. We're talking about money. Money. Money, 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 money. Money. Cheddar. We, we'll have to edit that out and make it sound much slicker. <laughs> uh, so basically, everybody's got money. And well, we hope. 
really is there's no such thing as money. There's just this illusion that you have something of value that you trade back and forth with other people. And what you're basically doing is trading debt. Say what? Well, that's what uh, that's what we'll get to. We, we're going to have a special guest. His name is Paul Grignon. He's put together a, an interesting educational documentary film that's an animated thing. And uh, it's really getting a lot of traction on the Internet. And it's, uh, it's a very simple story of how the whole monetary system works, how it originated and how it has kind of become perverted into this monster that it is now. Right. Attempts to simplify the unsimplifiable and, and does a very good job. Right. Yes. Right. Even normal people can understand this, as, <laughs> as we prove by watching it. Absolutely. You look at your uh, money now, it, you know, it says Federal Reserve note. What does that mean? We'll get into that. But uh, first, let's just talk generally about how people on an everyday basis deal with money. And do you have money problems or does everybody just have tons of money? Oh, yeah, tons. I've, I'm rolling in it. <laughs> like right now? Oh, yeah. See, yeah, I'm sitting on a little c- dollar bill crinkling <laughs> by the microphone. Sitting on a couch full of money. Right well, if, if debt is money, then I've got plenty of money. <laughs> yes. I'm definitely swimming in debt. So let's talk about debt. And what's the main, probably the most popular source of getting in debt these days would be credit cards. Oh, yes. It's very popular. You know, how do you use your credit card? I mean, do you use it? Because I remember early on with the whole credit thing, it was an emergency thing. People just right. had them in case they needed them, but they never really thought of them as an everyday thing. Now most people use it like if they keep using it, they're going to win something. They just, all the time, just keep on coming. But well, do, you, uh, do you pay your minimum payment or do you try to pay everything off? I try and pay a little bit more than my minimum payment. At least 5 or $10. How do the banks make money? Interest. That's the theory. Thank you, Einstein. Come <laughs> on, give me some stuff here. <laughs> Interest. Well, interest is, in theory, the way the banks make money off of credit cards. As it turns out, though, that's not really the only way they're making money right now. Uh, but what is interest? Our site's called BS Alert. We have a cow <laughs> on the front of it. <laughs> <laughs> let's assume that people don't know a whole lot, and let's just give them a hole from the ground up. Okay. Interest is a percentage of the money that you have borrowed that you pay back in addition to the amount that you borrowed as a sort of fee for being allowed to use this money that is not yours. It's the VIG in Sopranos talk. And uh, the most popular way to use this, which is called credit, is with these plastic cards that everybody now has. Buy now, pay later. And it's kind of an illusion, you know, because when you have real cash in your wallet, you open up your wallet and that's how much money you have, $17 or 37 or uh, $0.50. Cents. <laughs> $0.50, cents, that's what And, I- you know, so when you go into a store and you open up your wallet, that's, w- that's what your limit is. But now with these credit cards, it's a, there's an illusion that you have a lot more money. <laughs> well, you have a much higher limit, let's say. So people are spending a lot more because, of course, the media, every time they look in any direction, there's a sign, a poster, there's something animated or bouncing that says, you need this. It needs to be new. It needs to be shinier. You need to trade in your old thing and get a new thing. <laughs> so now we're just obsessed with buying stuff. And now we've leveraged our asses to the hilt because of it. And credit cards kind of paved the way for this, to be able to whip out that little piece of plastic and say, uh, give me that. Oh, absolutely. It's like the same uh, why casinos use chips. They're little plastic pieces. They don't really mean anything. They don't represent, I mean, they ostensibly represent money. But, you know, it's just, oh, well, this little black round thing. Right. There's a level of detachment there, which makes it easier for them to not think of it as real money. If you fork over a stack of 20s for, you know, a widescreen TV, it's, it's... it's a sacrifice, but, you know, you put it on your credit card, whatever. 
I'll deal with it when the bill comes. Maybe that's what the, you know, if they had credit cards that had pictures of money on it, it probably wouldn't do as well. Or maybe a credit card that had like your child's future <laughs> on it. And it gets sadder and sadder the more, the, the higher your balance goes. Yeah, that'd be good. And when, when, you're, when your balance, uh, yeah, when, you, when the more debt you, you know, the next time they send you a new credit card, the little kid is not smiling anymore. And <laughs> his clothes are looking raggedier. And... His knees get broken by some city court goons. <laughs> What ultimately is happening now, now that the banks are have figured out all of these schemes, and Wise Girl, you've got some interesting news. And so, uh, This is not necessarily an atypical example, right? No, no. I think it's extremely typical. A woman writes that her daughter is a freshman in college, and therefore probably not exactly super-duper credit savvy. <laughs> Naturally, she's paying for a lot of stuff using her ATM machine debit card, which was fine, except she kind of ran out of money. Ah. But somehow or other, the cards still continued to work. She could take out cash. She could charge things. What she didn't know was that the bank was charging her a $32 fee every time she used the card over her limit. Classic. The bank would allow her to use the money, and then they would charge it. I mean, I've had situations when I, I remember when I was in college. I'd have $25 in the bank account, and, and if I wrote a check for 26 they'd bounce it. Oh, yeah. And then and they'd charge me $37 or something. <laughs> right. right. Plus, the person you were gave the check to initially would charge you, usually, for a bounced check fee. Right, right. But now nobody uses checks anymore, so they've essentially taken that fee scheme and moved it over onto the cards. And, of course, the, the really tricky part is the, there are no bells, no whistles, no, no alarms go off that say, stop using the card, you don't have any more money. Right, no bouncing. So you keep no... using it. Another student accidentally charged... $230 that they didn't have on their debit card, which, you know, that's bad, but with the fees, he was charged an additional $217. Right. So he was essentially getting charged twice as much for the money because he didn't have it in his, in his account. And many people, especially naive youngsters, think that if you don't have any money, they won't let you buy things. Right, right. But that's not certainly not in the bank's interest. The bank would much rather you spend money you don't have, and then they can charge the hell out of you. Uh, for doing it, and so they make a ton of money. Let's give them a little taste. There's a documentary called Maxed Out. Oh, yeah. Great film. This touches on this subject, so here's a little bit of uh, it from the trailer. The credit card companies keep flooding our mailboxes with $4 billion offers a year. Banks alone had made available $3 trillion of credit on their cards. Consumer lending is obscenely the average American household has more than $9,000 in credit card debt and spends more than $1,300 a year in interest payments. Think about that. $43 if you're late, $43 if you're over limit. They want you to be late. An actual Providian employee told me all about how they hold checks. She said some of the checks they hold, some of them they just shred. We get thousands of complaints every year about credit card issues. I think that the vast majority of lenders in the country do grant credit responsibly. You got a piece of mail offering you up to $30,000 so you can go buy your car. What do you think about that? At Chase, we value our customers. A lady came up with her husband to the window. My mom said, you know, may I help you? And she said, well, your house is in a paper for foreclosure. They just raped us. This thing goes on and on, and there's lots of horror stories about people. Now, I see both sides of this coin, okay? You're spending more than you have, then you get what you deserve if you end up in debt. But the problem is, of course, 
that the banks have figured out all kinds of interesting creative ways to make you think that, that you can is, do it. Yeah, that you're capable of being able to afford these things. And of course, you know, I'm thinking that it's in the bank's interest to be able to pay them. So if they're giving me a credit limit of twenty thousand dollars, well then, you know, they must. I must be. I must. Yeah, I must be a pretty good risk. You know, I, I'm responsible and I can do it. So I'm going to buy that car. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, this is a real tough issue because I see both sides. You know, if you don't have the money then don't spend the money. Well, you yeah, got to have wait, some wait degree of personal responsibility. But I do agree that the, the institutions are misleading people and using false advertising and this and this illusion, you know, the credit cards and the the minimum payments and the hidden charges and the fine print certainly make it easier to kind of siphon more and more money yeah. away. And I don't and I don't think 40% interest rates on a credit card like that's not that's above and beyond uh, what is but of course they acceptable. say you know it's like it's it's a certain percentage and then if you're late on a payment then you're screwed i've known cases where some of these major banks intentionally held sending invoices out so that their statements would arrive late and there've been class action lawsuits about that and things oh providian which they talked about in in that trailer providian got sued for billions i believe uh, for doing just that holding checks or holding invoices so people are late and so who charged. you know who is responsible because you could say the banks are definitely they're not making these people spend no but see, here's the problem in theory people are already paying for the use of that money you know the interest charges are supposed to be what people are paying for the privilege of being allowed to borrow and to borrow and then pay the interest that's not a problem you're clearly entering into a deal you know the cost of the deal it's an above-board business arrangement. The problem is that the credit card companies are making it harder and harder and harder to see all the aspects of the deal. Right. For example, how many people out there sign up for a card when they get an offer in the mail that says 0% interest for a year? That's pretty Sounds tempting like to a, a lot of people. a great deal. Right, right. And, and actually, it's not such a bad deal. It's a pretty good deal. And, and if you check the fine print, you may find out that at the end of that year, maybe the percentage rate that you'll be paying will be a nice, small figure, like, I don't know, 10%, right. something normal. But you might find that it's 15%. The national average, actually, is 14.5%. Or you might find that this 0% only applies to initial balance transfers. Or, and this actually happened to me, I took out a, uh, I had a, some, an air conditioner installed in my home, and they, the people doing the installation provided me with a credit as... Zero percent for six months, and this was provided. This is not uncommon. And that's very common. Yeah, zero percent for six months. But it's and that that deal, which I didn't really realize at the time, was financed by Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo Financial. It was basically a credit card, so it was a zero percent interest. I put the balance of this work on my credit card. Well, what I didn't realize, and had I read the fine print, you know, I, I would have realized was that when I hit the end of that six months, all of that balance was subject to a retroactive action so that they charged me for the balance for those six months so, so basically if i hadn't if i had paid it off in the six months i would have been great so like, what happened is that you were always being charged interest you just didn't have to pay the interest right. so the interest the months. interest hit at the end of that six month period and that you know yeah see that's just totally misleading <laughs> I, I felt misled one thing i've noticed in maybe the last 10 years or so maybe a little bit longer is that advertisers are getting away with more and more ridiculous kind of misleading things like this and it doesn't seem like Whatever agency was in charge of enforcing this stuff is doing anything much these days. Oh, no. Nothing, uh, the basically. largest contributor to George W. Bush's election campaigns, I believe both 2000 and 2004, 
was MBNA, <laughs> the giant bank. And right. so, you Major know, credit card company. Yeah, exactly. They they don't have any interest in seeing this stuff regulated or enforced. Right. And let me tell you, they don't give you particularly good deals on your credit cards either, as I know from personal experience. <laughs> Another thing that's wrong with these 0% offers, or, or really any sort of offer, no matter how good it, it is, is if you read the fine print, most banks today will have clauses in there that if you're late, you will get a higher interest rate. Oh, absolutely. Right. Often a right. really, really, <laughs> really <laughs> high interest rate. So your your 0% offer, if you are late with one payment suddenly becomes 29% interest. That is almost impossible to pay off because, you know, you pay it off, suddenly you owe that much again. And good luck finding that interest rate printed on your bill anywhere. (laughs) Right. They're not not really interested in letting you know that, uh, oh, by the way. And what many people don't know is that actually you don't even have to be late paying your credit card. They can hike your interest rate, depending on what's in the fine print on your agreement, if you are late paying a different credit card or your rent or your car payment or basically any monthly payment, if you're late on it, they can use that as an excuse. Right. They could monitor your credit report. Because, yes, these are tracked by the three Darth Vader-esque credit reporting services. Right. And then there's the issue of that, which is, let's say there's something on your credit report that's not accurate. There's no easy way of addressing that. And that's certainly not in their interest. And this is also talked about in in the movie Maxed Out, which, by the way, you should go see as soon as you stop listening to this podcast, is that they they have no interest in seeing that stuff corrected. You know, it doesn't – they don't care. It doesn't affect them at all. Well, I mean, they're making money off of people's laziness and their uh, irresponsibility. ignorance as well. And they're certainly contributing to it because they are misleading people. You see these commercials now on TV for credit cards and car companies – and you'll see this half a page of fine print. It's even it's impossible, even if you could uh, see the writing, to be able to read it in the amount of time that it's up there. And all manner of sins are covered up by a, a little asterisk. That, yeah. That then you have mm-hmm. to go through reams of paper to find where what the hell that refers. But to. who's enforcing this? You know, the, we the, the American people or people all over the world. I'm sure this is not just an American thing. But I do know that in other countries, they're definitely more aggressive about making sure this stuff is curtailed. It just seems to be going rampant here. Hmm. Um, Shocker. So, you know, that's that's an issue. And now, of course, what's happening is their efforts to mislead people so that they can rape them with fees is so successful that they are running these people into the poorhouse or bankruptcy. Or or in, in some cases, suicide. I mean, your debt gets gets to the point and people start calling you and hassling you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they, well, uh, you know, listen to this. Listen to this. Credit card companies are hiking your monthly minimum payments. We'll tell you why that's actually good news ahead on American Morning. And and why is it why is that good news? All right. Well, this one I actually agree with because due to a lot of this misleading stuff that credit card companies have been doing, right? They, they finally realize that if they run you out of business totally, then they can't paying. rape you anymore. <laughs> right. And so, so now they're starting to kind of promote this responsible use yeah. of credit cards. Right. So it's responsible because you are paying more towards the principal. But yeah, ultimately, it, it's an increase. It's a very small increase. Wait, wait. Let, let's explain that a little bit better. Oh, I'm yeah. totally sorry. Uh, everybody, when you get your credit card bill, it has a, a minimal payment. 
and you can at least pay the minimum payment. Right, which I and think you on $1,000, if you paid the minimum payment on a $1,000 balance before this, you'd pay it off in like 30 years. Yeah, the minimum payment basically pays the interest plus like maybe a couple extra dollars. Yeah. If that even. If There's, that. In many cases, up until recently, if you paid the minimum payment, your debt and your interest load would go up and up and up and you would end up owing more and more and more money. It, just a, a huge amount. Your principal was never even touched. Right. So that that's the problem with a minimum balance that's set too low. Right. You never pay anything But off. not only that, it just starts to balloon. It's like doubling down and losing and doubling down and losing. <laughs> and I think that, mm -hmm. that the credit card companies are recognizing that now they're just screwing people over so much. That well, it affects their bottom line. If yeah. people are, you know, killing themselves or, or declaring bankruptcy, then, you know, they can't keep squeezing them. So they're, they're raising payments enough to the point where I think that, generally speaking, that somebody can make a dent into some of the principal so that the interest, because what happens is if you don't even pay off all the interest you're owed, then interest accrues on that interest, and it just starts to get completely out of hand. Right. And, it, you know, imagine if this was real money. People would be, like, freaking out if they saw the way that you're standing there with your money and the bank's got their money and there's a pile of money in the middle which represents your credit. If they really saw a visual representation of how much money the bank is grabbing away from you and how much you think is really you right. started out with, yeah. I think it'd be pretty darn scary. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And now, of course... After you have run somebody into the poorhouse, the whole notion of bankruptcy now apparently is somewhat off the table, right? Right. Thanks to our beloved president and Congress, uh, we now have a new bankruptcy law. Bankruptcy Reform Act. <laughs> <laughs> and Consumer Protection Act. Uh, yeah. If by consumer we mean the banking industry. And actually, do you know I'm surprised who... they didn't call it the Everybody Gets More Money Act of 2000 and something. <laughs> the Feel Good Payday Act. Of, but do you know who wrote the lion's share of that legislation? I do. Yes. Who, who wrote the lion's share? Why, MBNA Bank, oh. of course. Well, I'm sure they're doing what's in the interest of the American public. Well, why else would the Congress let them write the bankruptcy bill? A very good question. What the bankruptcy bill says, basically, and I'm, I'm way oversimplifying this, of course, it used to be that an individual could declare Chapter 7 bankruptcy. And that meant that they went into sort of negotiation. Some of their debt was essentially erased. Some of it was paid off. And they could kind of start from scratch. Right, but they could keep their house, right? And they, they could keep their keep, house. But some of their assets got sold, sold off. And Right. Now, however, most individuals, basically the ones who make at least the median income for their area, and if you check, the median income for your area is probably about what you make, <laughs> unless you're very unlucky. If you make above this, this level, instead of being able to sort of start over from scratch, the court arranges a payment plan that lasts for five years in which you attempt to go ahead and pay off all the debt before you get that magic reboot, which essentially means that for many people, going into bankruptcy is a lot like not being in bankruptcy and that you still owe buckets of money. <laughs> Except that your credit now is even... Oh, you're your yeah. host. Although... Credit card companies love people who've declared bankruptcy because they can't you cannot declare bankruptcy more than once. And they know that you like credit cards and like spending <laughs> on credit. So your credit may be crap, but since when has your credit being crap stopped you bankruptcy? from getting... No problem. <laughs> Even if you go through all of that crap, there's still more ways that the bank can screw you. For example... I love you, Cash Call. This is Gary Coleman. Oh, Gary. What you talking about, Willis? How the... <laughs> How the tiny have fallen. Cash wired right in my account. No one would lend me any money. Not even my relatives. Not even his relatives. 
it's pretty cheesy. Here's another commercial for a service called Check Into Cash. And you've seen these places all over the... Oh, yeah. All o- They're usually, usually in the places you don't want to be at night. Right, right, right. right. You dry, we usually lock your doors and windows and you see these places. Hey, they're, they're moving into the better neighborhoods, That's I true. can assure you. Well, here's a, here's a good example of the commercial. What do you do when your cash is low and you need groceries? You've got a cash emergency. You've got a money mayday. Check Into Cash. What's Check Into Cash? It's a remarkable place to get instant emergency cash for it's a remarkable place. Remarkable. What's really remarkable is that everybody in the commercial are really cool, affluent, nice, you know, mostly white people. Middle class people. Middle class people. Right. It's just for emergencies, man. It's just normal. It's just totally normal. Everybody does it. Check in the cash. We cash your personal check and then we hold it till you're paid. Anytime you have an unexpected expense and need a payday advance, check in the cash can make it happen. We cash your personal check, and then we hold it to your payday. Nice. Love the jingles. And we charge 96% interest. <laughs> Actually, yes. uh, they charge a lot more than 96% interest. Oh, do tell. What you yes. talking about, wise girl? <laughs> uh, how the payday loans work is pretty much like the song says. You give them a check that's post-dated for your payday. But And it's like more than the amount of money they give you, right? Does it include the interest, too? Yeah. Yes, that sounds right. Uh, like, say, say you want to borrow $100, and there's a fee for borrowing the $100 of $15. So you give them a check for $115, and they give you 100 bucks. And the theory is that on payday, they will cash your check. You'll have money in your account then, so right. that'll, that won't be a problem. And you've gotten your money early for a mere $15. On- sounds great. Sounds great. Except that if you were to get this money from another source, like, say, a credit card, you'd pay a lot less for Uh, the same amount of money. This is true. In fact, this particular loan is equivalent to an annual percentage rate of 391%. (laughs) (laughs) They, They also generally tend to make their really big bucks on the people who roll it over. Oh, right, that's apparently what the big thing is. They get these regular customers, and they loan in the money. Put it on my tab. And then uh, they come back in. and at, and the, yeah, at the end of the week, they come back in, and they're like, please don't cash it yet. I need to go another week. Here's another $15. Uh, well, how many $15 payments do you have to make before that $100 is costing you $200? Right. And, you know, your paydays aren't getting any larger. Right. So chances are, if you can't pay it off pretty soon, you can't pay it off further down the road either. And, you know, these are I'm sure that these are local establishments. These are just people who saw a need in the community and decided to help people out in an emergency. Right. In the case, you know, you got to buy food, right? So so some local businessman, out of the kindness of his heart, decided to start up. For one thing, most of these check-cashing chains are actually owned by the big banks. Right. No. So this is like, this is basically like credit for poor people, credit cards for poor people. It's exactly right? that. It's credit for poor people. It's crippling. That costs several times more than credit for slightly richer people. And that's the ultimate irony, right? The less money you have, the more money that you end up going to have. Oh, well, I mean, let's look in our big historical book of poor people being screwed by rich people. (laughs) This is a tiny, this is a one page in a 12,000 page book. Right, right. Right. It's just the latest incarnation of, yes. So we've established that basically these financial institutions will screw you no matter who you are. Oh, yeah. We've talked about the the average person and the poor people. Why don't we move on up? We'll move on up to mortgages because that's Ah. all over the news right now. Indeed. Everybody is screaming about what's going on with this uh, sub 
subprime sub market prime thing. Yes. What does that mean? You know, and, and here's a here's a little news blurb to give you a little taste. The number of Americans who've lost their homes this year because they can't afford the mortgage is now 1.3 million. They've been forced out as interest rates rise, leaving homes idle and unattended and a blight on the cityscape. John Blackstone of CBS reports. Antica, California, police have a new job patrolling hundreds of foreclosed houses left empty and abandoned. What we've got now is, I guess, there's entirely uh, these big, big McMansions that are just like little suburban things where people got screwed. You know what they should be doing? You got to start growing weed in your basement, man. That's <laughs> that's what you got to do. Got to make those payments. Works on TV. What's happening here with this subprime thing is apparently it used to be. That if you wanted to buy a house, you went to your bank and you got a loan from the bank. And, uh, you know, they looked at the value of the house. They looked credit at you. Because right. they were the ones with the money. And they're like, well, let's see. Is it a good investment or a bad investment? And you got the money. but If you could pay them back. Right. It was a solid kind of deal. But right. apparently now in the modern age where the banks have basically taken it to a new art form, taking advantage of people and figuring out how they can – maximize fees and 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 you know they're already screwing people over taking as much money as them as possible so now they're trying to open up new markets which involves often encouraging people to spend more than they have which is what they were successfully doing with the predatory payday loan stuff and the credit card misleading stuff so how do they expand it on a larger level that's where subprime comes in ah. okay now we're going to get into the the underlying monetary system beneath that, but let's talk about the subprime thing. This is where a bank, instead of having to lend its own money, it issues these junk bonds and it spreads out the debt among other banks and other investors. So now it has a lot more money and it's not really having to to have the whole burden itself. So they can become a little bit less discriminatory about who they offer the loans to. So the risk is distributed across all these banks. And so you can then lend, presumably, to riskier. Right. And basically, that's what they're doing. They are lending money to people that can't afford to pay it. They're using loan schemes that they know are are going to be very destructive to, this, to these people's financial integrity. And they're lending money on property that's collateral that is not worth the value of the loan. <laughs> well, it isn't now that housing prices have started to but, fall. But, I, mean, I mean, even conservatively, a lot of times, these, these people are getting so greedy that they are willing to just they'll, – they'll give you anybody a loan you know, because they get paid up front when they, when they close this. And then they turn around and sell the paper. Ah. And then they've, they're floating the debt from the loan. In these bonds. Ah. So it's so detached from having to answer this stuff that basically they're creating this debt and then they're handing it off to two or three different people. But these banks are they're doing the loans and then they're turning around and selling the mortgage to other companies to have them service it. It's crazy because the greed has gotten up to such a level now that they are offering loans to anybody. And of course, I'm not even talking about the different schemes they have. Right. You know, it used to be just adjustable rate mortgages, which was um, you pay a little bit now, you know, your interest rate may go up or down based on the prime or whatever. Right. But nowadays, it, just recently, it went up and up and up and up. And but also, there's these new things where there's uh, what's called an interest-only loan. Uh, you guys familiar with that? Heard of it. Heard of This is scary. Okay? My math teacher told me to stay away from them. <laughs> this is for these people that want to buy a house they can't afford. And they reason The American dream. It's like a car thing, you know? How much is the note? How much is the note? Because I can afford to pay X amount of dollars a month. 
And uh, they structure these loans so that if you think, I can afford to pay $800 a month, can I get this house? And if the bank says, we can work it out for you, right. which translates to, we we'll, can work we'll it out so you can pay 800 bucks a month <laughs> for three years. After that, your note's going to go up to 3000 Right. But don't worry. In three yeah, 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 years, yeah, yeah. you're going to be working for Microsoft or Google or, <laughs> right. you know. The or the house will have appreciated so much in value, you can refinance the mortgage right. at a much lower rate. Right, oh, right. Of course. So people buy into this. And I think this is an example of where people are just being stupid. And, you know, they're they're being overly emotional. Well, and they're also, I think, a little too trusting. They, they figure the bank, uh, you know, often the symbol of stability and, and responsibility is going to be there for them and wouldn't lead them astray because it's not in their interest. Right. No. And so the, the ARM, the adjustable rate mortgage, is one of these kinds of vehicles where it looks like you can afford it initially, and then if interest rates go up, you may suddenly find your note just goes skyrockets. And the and system, I guess, works okay. Well, it, it can long, work if you're fully aware of what you're getting into. Well, and it works for the banks okay as long as you're still ma making that payment, as long as long as you don't foreclose. And oddly enough, that's where the new bankruptcy bill turns out to have some unexpected blowback oh, no. for a lot of these financial organizations. Oh, fantastic. Because under the scheme where people who have declared bankruptcy and they've set up a payment plan so they can pay off all of that old credit card debt, uh, if they have one of these adjustable mortgages, suddenly the mortgage goes up, but their payment plan doesn't change. <laughs> So they've committed to spend X number of hundred dollars per month paying off the credit cards. Now they can't pay their mortgage, so they, they go into foreclosure. Right. right. Which this the bank owns both of them, so it's it like eats, it it's robbing for Peter to pay Paul, but Peter and Paul are both the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> Peter and Peter. And people need to realize that this is the beginning. It has not oh, even right. started yet. A lot of people are overextended. If interest rates go up, which they have not been going up, they've been they've been forced and pressurized downward right. and it's just very unnatural so i think there's that the shit's going to hit the fan oh absolutely i mean and it has not hit the fan and there's people that are still delusional about this for example this is jim kramer co-founder uh, of our yes. site Hygiene. speaking of delusional so yes. subprime blows up i had a very bad experience with subprime yesterday what was that very bad experience tell me about it I ordered the 24-ounce T-bone, which was choice, rather than the 8-ounce the eight filet. I went for volume yeah. rather than prime. I, I went that. for subprime. And the, the gist was that it was clearly a, it was an inferior meal. Uh, oh, by the way, subprime of the, the actual lending thing is completely meaningless. Thing. I am now saying that if every loan in 2006 that was subprime blew up, $500 billion, if they all blew up, it would not. Yeah, would not. You would still not notice. In fact, in fact, what? How does he? He has a job, but he has several jobs. I, it's you know, astonishing to me. We I, could do a whole show just on Jim Cramer and all the bullshit that he spews. You shovels. Know? Oh my god! And so, wait, when was that? When was that recorded? I don't know. I, I found it off YouTube, and it was in July of two thousand and seven that it okay, was put right. up. So but, it was definitely so a while ago. This was yeah, and so it proves even now. Bank of America is trying to bail out Countrywide because right. they they've had their ass handed to them. There have been two other major companies that have kind of CEOs are resigning right. like you know <laughs> like they really actually want to spend time with their families yeah it's a big damn deal and we are yeah it's just begun I mean I'm not saying that the whole world's going to end except that there's a lot of people out there that were that are really stretched thin 
He's not saying the world's going to end, but he's buying a lot of canned food, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> he's stocking up on bullets. Well, you know, after, we went through Katrina, so we're, <laughs> we're ready for it all. We know it's right important now. to have stacks. <laughs> That's yes. true. People are wondering, what does this mean for me? Well, bottom line is all of this uh, financial situation, the, the subprime thing, mortgage things, interest rates going up. It, there's just one simple thing that you need to be concerned with, and that is get out of debt. Yeah. I mean- it's as simple as that. If you're not in debt, you're, you're no going to be somewhat insulated from this crap. Now, that there's going to be markets and things that are going to take a hit. The stock market is, and all kinds of other stuff. We're going to see some, like they, the, the financial people call it, a correction. Yeah. It's a correction. <laughs> it's a sterile like, term. Like 9-11 was a correction to yeah. the New York skyline. Like Titanic was a correction of uh, shipping in, yes. in the Atlantic. There's going to be a minor correction in the marketplace. I mean, Kramer says not, we won't even notice it. Right, we're it's noticing a minor it. <laughs> correction. That's fine, um, but you know the reason why we haven't felt it so far is because this whole scheme of money has kind of just been pumped up and pumped up and artificially inflated and deflated and controlled and contrived. And um, it's a house of cards, and we're pulling out the bottom card. <laughs> right. Well, th- well, there's just more and more cards, and and well, yeah, the government creates more money to bail out these lenders, so that you know the whole thing doesn't collapse catastrophically. So, wh- but- where is all of this money coming from, and is it a limitless resource? <laughs> well, essentially, yeah, the uh, Federal Reserve is who controls the American monetary supply. The Federal Reserve is a quasi-public institution. The governors of it are appointed by the president, uh, and then it controls essentially every other bank in the country and those banks money supply. Okay. So there's not really money flowing between the Federal Reserve and these other banks, is it? It's just like receipts. It's like a Well, I mean, yeah, there's no they don't hand dollar bills around, but they they have they can have these auctions of money. And so you bid on on money essentially, uh, which is essentially bidding on on debt, uh, on national debt. Right. And now there's a little film that is called Money as Debt by a Canadian by the name of Paul and we're going to be interviewing him, and he's going to talk more about it. But we're going to put it up on our website where you can see this little film, and it's really good. It, it goes over the whole idea of how money systems started and how they've evolved into this abstraction. This hulking monster. Right, where, first off, money is no longer backed by any kind of real tangible commodity like gold or anything like that. Instead, there's this illusion of there being some value to dollars or to to euros or to whatever. And what you've got is you've got this big entity. In our case, it's the Federal Reserve, which kind of interfaces with all the banks and determines who has how much money. But it's really not money. It's debt. It's a promise to pay money back to another entity, right? Right. And there's just so many levels it goes on and on and on. And like nobody really even understands it. Just trying to be able to explain this to people is mind boggling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like quantum physics. And I think that's one of <laughs> the reasons. But with more bearing on everybody's lives. <laughs> that's one of the reasons why it seems that all of the conspiracy theorists love the Federal Reserve. Because it's such a complicated web of. It lends itself, you know, for sure, to uh, paranoia. Right. So I can't find anybody to really talk about this that also doesn't have some pretty far-out theories as to how the monetary system ties into everything from, you know, assassinations of presidents to why we're in Iran and, or, or Iraq, uh, what we're doing in the Middle <laughs> well, East. Well, it depends on when the show airs. We might, uh, <laughs> yeah. both of those might apply. Forgive me on that. Maybe I know, what do you know? you don't. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Just miss me. 
Anyway, um, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of bizarre. There's a film out there called Zeitgeist, which I guess you guys haven't seen yet, but I, I watched it, and it starts off with the same premise as this Money is Debt film, where they talk about the Federal Reserve and how it's this kind of quasi-public corporation that's controlled by this cabal of super powerful people. And basically, this movie goes into describing virtually every horrible thing that's happened in the 20th and 19th century and attributes it to a big, long conspiracy that apparently ultimately ends with anal probes by aliens and RFID chips being inserted into us. I mean, seriously, uh, this makes Noam Chomsky and and Alex Jones look like two guys on the Food Network offering you a Toll House (laughs) cookie recipe. So it's hard. Which doesn't to... mean that they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, really? Well, I haven't tried their cookies, so <laughs> I can't be that judgmental. <laughs> I, I thought that the, the little documentary Money is Debt did a really good job of explaining the whole setup in terms that most people could follow. Most people could understand. Yeah, I agree. And and uh, we're going to put it up on the site. It'll probably be up before this podcast. Okay, here's a little clip of uh, this documentary we were talking about. It's called Money is Debt, and it's a great tutorial. Have, we wouldn't have the time in this show to really go into the detail, but we'll refer you to the website where you can learn all about this, and it's really fascinating. And here's a little here's a little snippet. Have you ever wondered how everyone, governments, corporations, small businesses, families, can all be in debt at the same time and for such astronomical amounts? Have you ever questioned how there can be that much money out there to lend? Now you know, there isn't. Banks do not lend money. They simply create it from debt. And as debt is potentially unlimited, so is the supply of money. And, as it turns out, the opposite situation is also true. No debt, no money. And uh, we'll get into that, and we're talking with Paul Grignon. Your film is called Money is Debt. And um, you want to give us just a little intro into exactly what it is and, and what you're explaining with it? Really, it goes back to about grade 10 when we first uh, studied logarithmic functions. And I, I thought if money accrues interest at every turn, then you, don't we need continually more and more money in order for this system to work? Uh, but I didn't think that much more about it until um, a month later when I was hired to, to um, I shoot a five-hour presentation by Tim Madden, who's a monetary historian, and he had a he had a program sort of for um, uh, fighting foreclosure by, by claiming that the, um, your, your loan was fraudulent. Uh, I don't think he had a lot of success with it, but covering his uh, five-hour presentation, and I was given the job of trying to boil it down to 30 minutes, and I couldn't. <laughs> And, and I had come up with the idea of just doing the uh, the Goldsmith tale as a cartoon to explain how how our uh, current debt money evolved evolved from the, from gold right from gold coin itself. And uh, when I had made that and and used it as the introduction to uh, Tim Madden's talk, and some other people saw it and they started using it. And then pretty soon I had these two people, well, one had sent it to the other, and then this man from the American Monetary Institute. He wanted to use it, and I, you know, I thought it wasn't really up to scratch for that. And I had by then figured out how to make it into a much bigger movie, what I wanted to say. And so, with his uh, background, because he actually learned all about the money system from Wright Patman, who was the head of the the Congressional um, uh, House Banking Currency and Committee, Currency and Banking Committee. Mm-hmm. And and he had been, I think, he was in that position for twelve years. So I assumed that this guy was probably a pretty good person to rely on for information. So I had three different people who I'd rely on for information. 
And so I went ahead and made the movie. So this is your attempt to try to educate lay people into the dynamics of how the monetary system works, right? Yes. And, and it's simplified. You've got to realize that it's simplified, and I tried to make it general to cover um, how it works in different countries. Right, because you're from Canada, so we're wondering how similar the systems are between the uh, United States and Canada. They work slightly differently. Well, I mean, here, you, I mean, in the United States, you still have a fractional reserve system. In Canada, we don't. There's no controls on the banks, just their own good business sense. Huh. Wow. <laughs> Which, in terms of, you know, no, Canadian banks have been better better behaved in some senses than other banks. So it's not, that's, it's, it's, they, they still have to have, the money has to flow in from one bank in order for the other bank to have money flow out. Uh, we, we tend to think that that's because the money exists and that all it's all balances. But of course, both banks are creating money out of nothing. And so as long as they both create the same amount and they all get their share, they can keep on creating money out of nothing. And nobody ever actually has to pay anything. None of the banks actually ever have to cough anything up unless you don't pay them back. And so the Canadian system is also, it's not tied to any, any commodity, is just like the American system? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. But we do have a publicly owned uh, central bank. That's the difference here. The government uh, at least full officially public. owns right. our central bank. It's not private like the Federal Reserve. Right. It was, uh, it was made public and nationalized in 1938, and in order to get Canada out of the Depression, and as the, the movie suggests about the government simply spending money into circulation, well, the government in Canada did that with its own central bank from, uh, from 1938. Got Canada out of the Depression, paid for the Second World War, built veterans housing after the war, built the St. Lawrence Seaway, built the highway infrastructure, built bridges, and God knows what. The whole long list of uh, fantastic prosperity we had after World War II was paid for with interest-free, or at or least, the interest that gets paid on the loans to the central bank this is just income for the government. So if the government's borrowing the money and getting the interest, I mean, it's, it's all the government's money creation. And they did that right up until uh, till around Trudeau in the 70s. And then the policy switched to borrowing the money from private banks. And now, of course, Canada has an enormous uh, public debt. But up until the 70s, our little debt was just running along the bottom of the graph. And now it's up like the American debt. And this is all really mainly because of special interest, right? It's not that it's a better system or that it has any inherent uh, more value, right? No, it's like the banks took over the government. Uh. <laughs> I mean, Brian Mulroney was a bank lawyer, and he stacked the Supreme Court in Canada with bank lawyers. Well, it's nice to know it's not just happening in America. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, this is a whole worldwide... Uh, I, mean, I don't know if you've ever read uh, Carol Quigley's book. No. Okay. Well, I mean, there's a quote in it there about how there was there was a plot that he 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 was sympathetic with it. He was one of the insiders, and um, and he, he his quote is often used. I'm using it in my sequel. It's about how the central banks conspired to control the world economy. Huh. Now, let me ask you something now. What? Um, there's a there's this implication that there's this impending meltdown because of this because obviously. Uh, these banks have to create more debt in order to be able to spur economic growth. So what happens? How can these things be dealt with? It, there's got to be like one, two, three different ways that you can get out of this, either in a good way or in an inevitable way. So what happens inevitably in a worst-case scenario, and what do you think would be realistic approaches towards improving the system without – having to, like, say, assume that all of the bad guys that have all this power are suddenly going to just allow massive change. 
like a challenging question. Well, yeah. the normal How do you way fix it? <laughs> Go. <laughs> I mean, the way the system works now, if there were only one level of lending, banks were creating the money, and then all the money they took in as interest was spent so that the people who need to get that money, need to be able to earn that money in order to pay the interest again. If you, if you did that, it would be a sustainable money as debt system. But if any of the money that's taken out as interest is then lent again at interest or not made in any way not made available to the people who need it to pay off their loan, then you have this built-in structural shortage where people cannot pay off their loans. And so the only way that the system can continue to work is to have the money supply continue to expand. And since the money is only created as debt, that means that the total amount of debt has to continually expand. At a certain point, as that is an exponential increase that has to happen, at a certain point, the exponential curve gets so steep that you can't keep it up anymore. The interest is taking everything. And that's usually the point at which um, the whole thing breaks down. And then there's a massive wave of foreclosures and a huge depression. So that's basically what you see. You see that uh, realistically, the best way to, or as to use a financial term, a correction would be a depression. Then, well, the, the, it's it's tragic because you know the, the the banks create this money out of nothing, then they charge interest on it, which makes it impossible to pay pay back, and then the banks collapse when we don't pay them back. And then the federal government bails out the banks. Then right? the and then the federal government comes through and creates a whole bunch more money, which it could just do tax free, but it never does. It always borrows it. <laughs> from the banks. From the banks. I'll have to start it all over. Or the banks have to borrow. In, in your case, the, the Federal Reserve is the last source of the, the final tap from which new money can come. Right. And that's this mysterious private corporation that uh, apparently very few people... Quasi-public. I believe they prefer the term quasi-public. Right. Uh, what, do you, what can you tell us, based on your research, of who the Federal Reserve is and, and what they do? and who Do they answer to anybody? Do they answer to anybody? Well, they have a certain amount of uh, answerability to the, the government, as I understand it. I mean, you you can read a lot of different things about the Federal Reserve, and you come up with people have very conflicting opinions. And some people say it's government control because of the governors when they're elected by the you know appointed by the president. They have fourteen, I think it's fourteen year terms, so they're in there for a lot longer than any president. And the other thing is. Uh, if the president gets to be president, who made it possible for them to get him to become president? Right. right? <laughs> if somebody made it possible, then is he going to appoint somebody ahead of the Federal Reserve that's not not approved by the whoever made him president? Right. So, like the idea of government control when the banks control the government is is a stupid idea. <laughs> but yeah, so officially it's government control, but it's owned by the twelve member banks. And then the 12 member banks are owned by the individual banks in those areas, and those individual banks have been traced back so that their ownership goes. There's a, there's a list. Right. They're pretty much all foreign interests. So is the there Rockefeller banks. is there any real grassroots effort to reform this? I mean, I, we're aware of you know your film, and then there's another one called Zeitgeist. Have you have you seen that yes. one? This one seems to take your theories about the Federal Reserve and how it has a cascading effect politically uh, and economically. And they take it a couple of steps further, and it seems like uh, they're tying it to 9-11. They're tying it to the assassination of various uh, political figures, RFID chips. It's, they really go pretty heavy into this conspiracy thing. Uh, do, you, do you have any beliefs that are that extreme as far as uh, this cause and effect with uh, the monetary system? 
So do you think how I mean, do you think that that, that people have been assassinated because of this? Yes. Uh, uh, does the government know about aliens? <laughs> oh, that's a... <laughs> well, I would think they do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone would, I suppose it would. I can appreciate that point of view that uh, there's a, that there is a big conspiracy, but then at the same time, my experience with the government is that they don't seem capable of doing even basic stuff. So I have a hard time thinking that there's any grand scheme. I mean, I can certainly see the Federal Reserve manipulating things. I mean, obviously, you have these very powerful people since the inception of the country that pushed for this program, and they paid and they put people in. But I'm just wondering how how organized is this plan to, say, set the monetary system a certain way, and then how does that correlate to other aspects of policy in America as well? Do you feel the same thing's going on in Canada? The general trend towards corporate dictatorship through the mechanism of globalization and free trade? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's going on everywhere. Do you see it, though, as like uh, there's a cabal of very powerful people, or do you see it as more just a natural evolution because these corporations are just becoming larger and larger? Is there like a central authority? I would – I th okay. My concept of this is more like your concept that you get of the mafia from movies, okay? They, the group that are involved don't give away the game, but they do fight amongst themselves for their position in the game. Does that answer your question? Right. I'm just wondering how many of these things are tied. Like, obviously, there's there's a situation of of us fiddling around in the Middle East, and there's all kinds of different theories as to why that is. We certainly know it's not about WMDs or liberating the Iraqi people. Is it about oil? Is it about controlling uh, the currency in which oil is traded? Is it about maintaining the value of the dollar? Uh, well, those things, those those are all the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you think whoever controls oil is going to going to kind of control the oil? You control the flow of oil. You control the currency that oil is produced in. That that's those are the things that have made America have a free ride for the last fifty years. Mm -hmm. Right. As far as I know, they were negotiated by Bush one. So with the Saudis, that's 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 his big that's his major card in politics is that he was the one who made that arrangement. These would always do their oil business in, in U.S. dollars. Huh. Obviously, you're trying to make a difference, and you're trying to tell people your perspective on these issues. Uh, what do you hope to accomplish? Do you see like a, do you have any short-term goals that you can see happening as a result of your efforts? Uh, not really. I think the, the, the goal has to, be, it has to be approached with some degree of patience, <laughs> even to the point of, well, I just want to put these ideas out so that they, more people understand, and uh, after whatever kind of cataclysm we head into, perhaps they will survive. Yeah, I mean, it seems that education is, is vital because, you know, you talk to the average person on the street and they have no no clue. I don't really have a clue how our monetary system works or globally or even in this country. The movie makes it pretty simple. Is when you sign an, if you signed an IOU to me for $100 right. and you were believable that you would honor your IOU, then you just created $100 worth of money right. because I can now trade your $100 IOU to somebody else for $100 worth of goods. <laughs> or somebody else's IOUs. So that's all our money is, is IOUs. Right. But there's no limit to how many IOUs you can write if you don't intend to honor them. And, you know, you know the United States has gone way, way past the, the point where the United States could ever honor all the IOUs. Oh, certainly. Issued, mm -hmm. As have most countries. But the United States is the worst. I mean, and they, they just spend it on going around uh, conquering other people. 
it's a total it's a total insane i mean the insanity of it the 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 only rational goal you can see to it is that the destruction of the united states is the goal huh. and that the people who are in charge of the united states have a, a long-term goal of destroying the united states well do you see that uh, the the creation of some sort of economic hardship being some kind of thing that will reset things because i've there's a one of the rumors associated with this is that the depression was intentionally created by some of the financial powerhouses at the time because they wanted to uh they needed some kind of an event to push a new monetary plan that would favor them yes they managed to get rid of finally get rid of um, a large chunk of the gold standard and they got the got Roosevelt to even confiscate all the Americans' gold in 1933. That's a pretty good uh, accomplishment. They didn't actually get all the gold. From what I was reading, they actually didn't get that much. Imagine that. The government says, give us your gold, (laughs) and people don't comply. (laughs) I mean, if if you want to turn a a whole continent full of independent farmers who really don't need politicians very much into a bunch of completely dependent wage slaves... Who who are dependent on the government and corporations for absolutely everything? Mm-hmm. Then that's the process we've been going through for the last hundred years, and it's going really well for them. Boy, it sure is. Yeah. Do you know of any any country, first world country, that has a commodity, or has a currency rather that's tied to not necessarily the gold standard, but to a commodity that that doesn't rely on this spiraling cycle of debt, or is, are they? Do they all have to comply? No, because, they're all in the same system. Right. You have to be. You know, Malaysia tried to bring in a return to gold dinars, but it doesn't work. You can't you can't operate in this debt money system with a different kind of money. Right. You know, and the game has become a world game of this debt money system. Huh. So there is no real good model of a, a more stable economic system in the, the first world or the second world here? Well, the island depends what you call the island of Guernsey. I think that they, they've had 200 years of issuing their own debt-free money, but... Uh, that example is pretty well suppressed. <laughs> There's probably lots of places that have local currencies, but I'm not aware of any national currency of that sort. And then there's a, we have another issue where there's, there's people and organizations that are trying to kind of set up alternate systems of payment. You know, there was that uh, this uh, company that was minting gold coins that was raided by the... Uh, Liberty do- the Liberty Dollar, yeah. Right. What's your take on that situation? Well, they were trying to introduce a metallic currency, and they just got raided by the FBI and had all their metal taken. It's kind of like 1933 all over again, only just for them. And under what authority was that? None. None. <laughs> what authority does the government have to come? It wasn't even their money, right? They were warehousing silver for which they had issued receipts to other people in exchange for Federal Reserve notes. So that wasn't even their their silver to be seized. It belonged to all the other people who were holding the silver receipts. Oh, interesting. I mean, that's what U.S. dollars used to be at one point. I, I have one, a silver receipt dollar. I, right. I have one as well. Yeah, silver and gold certificates. I wonder if you had a gold certificate today, could you actually still redeem it or whether or not it's no. not in Oh, no. They, yeah. Somebody told me they do still redeem it if you have it. They, they, don't, they don't advertise they Just the march into a Federal Reserve know, Regional. thing is a redeemable currency. So you say you've got another project that you're working on. Um, does that have to do with the same theme? Yeah, this movie's taken over my life since I made it. <laughs> I used to be a carefree artist with my, you know, painting, and now I, you know, it usually takes me till noon just to answer all my emails. I guess there's a lot of Ron Paul people contacting you these days. Oh, fair number, but I mean, Ron Paul's been into the gold standard, so 
You know, I'm not really sympathetic. I think the gold standard would be a disaster. I mean, every time somebody says, we need to return to gold, I say, okay, how are you going to figure out? The gold's all owned by somebody, so how is my money going to become right. something that represents their gold? And if my money represents their gold, can they spend their gold? Right. So, right? I mean, there's a basic problem there. We we don't have a natural distribution of gold. You can't just go back to gold. It's a stupid idea, in my opinion, anyway. But, uh, so do you recommend that we'd create some kind of a new arbitrary commodity that everything would be backed on? Well, I'm actually, that's the, that is the project I'm working on. It's another entirely different theory of money. But you think a, a single level of loaning rather than a cascading, this turning debt into debt into debt, a single level well, my of that system would be... of the money. I, the system I'm working on is a lot more radical than that. <laughs> it's the all self-issued credit. Nobody has to borrow money from anybody. Huh. Maybe you borrow call it money a... from your con- your customers is what you basically do. Interesting. You know, in, right, currently right now there's a lot of consumer producer comment uh, a, a co-op. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you wanted to buy groceries from your local organic farmer, for instance, there's co-ops where you can go and and invest money with the farmer. And then you get a maybe twenty percent discount on the produce at hmm. the end. Trust on your loan is the additional produce you get in the end. Huh. Yeah, we've had some co-ops in the area where you had a choice: you could pay a fee for your fruits and vegetables, or you could work a certain amount on the farm in return for that. Well, you could do that too, but I'm talking about specifically where you finance your producer. Gotcha. By by lending them the money now in exchange for a discount on product when the product is ready. Just cutting out the middleman. To me, middle that's man. the soundest basis of money in the whole world. It always represents product. It's a redeemable currency, redeemable in goods, and it Just answers real needs. As a, I mean, as a thought and experiment. Nobody has to borrow. I mean, the producer only borrows money from his future customers. Right. And I've worked on a system where actually you don't have to specifically commit to buy from any one producer. Huh. becomes a, a, just the basis of the system I've been working on. But what if, say, I mean, if in this in this scheme, which, I mean, it does sound good, if, if the farmer's crops, say, failed, is it guaranteed? Is your investment guaranteed? Or like many investments, is it just, are you just kind of out of luck? Oh, if, if they failed? Well, if they failed, yeah, you would be out of luck. Oh, okay. So it's it's a genuine investment you have in to, the yeah, classic. Yeah, you have to share the It's like buying a, fu- a futures contract or a bond. And you use it as money. Well, what's your thought about uh, trade exchanges, where there's no actually actual money is just represented? Everybody's contribution, their work and output is represented in some kind of a virtual currency. Well, you have to figure out how the, the mechanics of it work. I mean, essentially, that that is what we're always doing with any form of money. So tell us more about this this new project. When is it going to be out, and what exactly are you doing? Well, I'm not. We, I'm trying to get some opinions as to how feasible this idea would be. So the monetary system idea is, is uh, well, I can't say too much about it because it's, it's not ready to launch yet. But that's mm-hmm. that's fundamentally the basis on which it posits to create money, and it would be a global one global currency, but it would also function as a, as a local currency because the main issues are, issuers of it would be your local industry and government. But uh, another project I'm working on is a sequel to the first movie. Now, it sounds to me like this new project you're doing, like the first movie talks about what the problem is. Now you're trying to come up with some solutions, right? Well, the solution came from actually being contacted by some people who created a whole new technology to make the solution possible. It's pretty amazing. 
the the second movie actually I I went into uh, the details about the things that I oversimplified in the first movie because. I made some choices in the first movie where you can't really tell people the whole truth, otherwise you get derailed <laughs> into details. That's always mm-hmm. the problem trying to explain monetary things. Is sure. You get derailed into details, and pretty soon you've lost your audience. So you have to make an approximation that is that is the closest to the truth you think without going into the details. Right. So one of the things in the first movie is I left out the explanation of recirculation of interest. I did put it in as a recommendation saying that the problem of interest would be gone if we were able to fully recycle interest back to who needs it in order to pay their make their payments. But I didn't explain the current situation. So in the second movie, I try to do a, a, a good job of explaining what I think is really going on, how unpayable interest actually is. And when do you expect uh, that to, well, to the hit first the time, the, the second one is like two money statutes. They're each about 40, it's got two parts, each about 47 minutes. So the first half I've got roughly finished, but I haven't worked on it now for six months because I've been working on this other project. Plus I've been making translations, working on translations, working on a French translation of the first movie as well. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, I got to tell you, I really liked it. I thought it was a very interesting, very informative, and the way you presented the material made a lot of sense. I just thought it, it was the most educational version of any of this any of these kinds of documentaries to really explain the system. And oh, thank you. It, you know, the use of your flash animation and all that, while it might be primitive by uh, standards today in filmmaking, I thought it was probably about as perfect as you need. You don't need anything really elaborate or flashy to demonstrate these very simple concepts from the Especially dawn of time. Especially when you're doing a 47-minute animated feature by yourself. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I, th- <laughs> I thought it worked. You have to choose your style of animation to meet the realistic ideas. Where can people go to find out more about you and your projects? Um, well, moneyisdebt.net is my website. Mm-hmm. Paul, I, I want to thank you for coming on and telling us more about this, and uh, we'll definitely be paying attention to what you're up to. Uh, let us know when your new projects become available. And I guess you're selling a DVD of... Uh, your original or your enhanced feature on your website, right? Oh, yes. Moneyisdebt.net. And uh, are you taking, are you accepting gold or is it uh, Federal Reserve <laughs> notes? What it, uh... <laughs> no, no, I still, PayPal, credit card. <laughs> <laughs> you can send me cash. Somebody did send me Liberty dollars. I've got a, and then I actually, well, I actually cashed them in for real silver dollars, so I've oh, got wow. a few. Nice. Cool. Wow. Well, hide them from the government, you know. <laughs> Well, you know, one one person that has contacted me says we even should have to stop calling them calling it money because what it they, what we really have are eods, evidences of debt, <laughs> and and the point this man makes is that actually under our tax laws, debt is not taxable, and so since we're all getting paid in debt, not money, we really shouldn't have to pay any taxes. I want to thank you for your time, and we'll be paying attention to what you're up to. Okay. Thank you for the opportunity to be on. Thank you very much. Yes, thanks, uh, thanks, Paul. All right. All right. Well, we're after this uplifting show. (laughs) I got to go make some payments. I'm going to go dig a hole in the backyard. I'd be a nice shopping spree to, you know, get my spirits up. (laughs) I think I owe, like, after the end of the show, I owe, like, ten more bucks to uh, Citicorp. Yeah, if there's a moral to this story, it's get out of debt. Don't fall for this notion that the illusion of credit is uh, is something that you should pay much attention to. It's like well, Bill you said. Sh- you should pay a lot of attention to right. it because if you don't, you'll get screwed well, over badly. But don't think <laughs> but don't think of credit as actual money you have. Right. 
<laughs> True. You know, think of it as the end of your future. And on that positive <laughs> note, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Will there be a BSLR podcast number eight? <laughs> <laughs> well, please visit us on the web at www.bsalert.com. Go now. Yes. Uh, you can email us at uh, bsastaff at bsalert.com. Don't send credit uh, credit report or credit card uh, We will ads. take gold and silver, though. <laughs> so feel free. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>